episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, man? Well, I will say I think our load managing is starting to become more embarrassing than Kawhi's. But, you know, in this case, we normally do a big all-star weekend preview. I'm glad we took last week off because the NBA took the weekend off and nothing really matters. We basically didn't miss a beat by by waiting until today to, to, to pick it up where we left off. I'm glad we didn't spend any more minutes talking about that weekend than we should. We could have. So it probably worked for the better that we load managed last week. You know, it was nice to refresh, take the time off. I was in New York uh, during right. our weekend. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I can't complain. You know, what's funny is like I knew we would be off to a bad start when I heard Ranveer Singh was coming back to the uh, to the celebrity game and uh was going to wow the the people who had no idea who he was with more freestyles and f- selfies and dance dance moves. But once we got that out of the way, it, it only got progressively worse from there somehow. I want to talk about that Runveer Singh thing, right? It's clear the NBA is trying to just shove the NBA down India's throat. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Runveer Singh, the only reason he's getting called back uh, this year is because he is a – you know, nationwide phenomenon in India. Yeah. Hollywood I mean, star. For sure. But the that's one thing to have him play in the game again, to kind of shine the spotlight on him, but like, <laughs> to have the constant like videos and clips <laughs> out with him and Giannis, with him and Hassan, with that rapping, like it's just. It's too much, man. I just, I want him to save him from himself somehow. It's hurting our reputation as Indians. It's you know like, what's funny though, to your point about him being like a uh, a superstar of you know in India, and like I I feel like because India is so big, and especially in the film industry, they're so uh, the it's almost like in the U.S. the film stars have taken a beating uh, in the in the court of public opinion to some degree, where they're not seen in this like spotlight and almost like a pedestal. That has not happened in India yet, right? So whether it's Shah Khan or in this case Ranveer Singh, like. This guy has 40 plus million Instagram followers. Like he is so much more well-known worldwide than like everyone he's playing with. But it's funny because he's like a total fish out of the water. And like these guys are probably walking around like, who is this dude? Like what's going on? And it's absurd to watch. Yeah, exactly. Because he seems like totally irrelevant in the, the scope of the game. Whereas he is easily the most popular person. I mean, given that the people on the, the rosters are not even that popular to begin with. Right. Um, he does laps around them in terms of his what he means. I don't know. One thing I'll say is I don't have a sense of how popular basketball really is in India. Like a lot of people do talk about it being like this kind of next big thing. It's never going to match like the fanfare of cricket or anything like that. But like even like I don't know if you remember, but like Kevin Durant has built courts in India, for example, like as part of his charitable work. And so it feels like there's something there, but probably not to the pace in which they're pushing it on us. Yeah, I I think the younger generation is probably because they're tuning in more to social media and everyone has phones now. um, They have access to highlights. So maybe they're trying to tap into that market. But it definitely still isn't mainstream to the point where, you know, I've gone to India several times in the last couple of years. You don't feel it. You don't see it everywhere. You don't see Mm -hmm basketball courts just filled with kids so it'll take some time but they're definitely trying to plant kind of the, you know, yeah, the seeds plant there the seeds for yeah. sure 
And like I'm, like, I love it, right? Like if they can get in India, what happened in China, where they actually going and playing like games over there more often. Like I mean, the Kings went there. Was it last year? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. If they started or doing a couple that, years ago, a couple years ago, yeah. If they start doing that more often, and they start like I don't know, like the biggest thing would be like a talent pool that starts to come from out, out there. But all this is probably not going to start with uh, Runveer teaching Shaq Bollywood moves on on TikTok. So I can I can be pretty much confirm that. Put thick and thin in the game. We'll hit a yeah. three or two. You know, we'll, we'll at least contribute. And we're brown. That's all you need. You just need a face. The celebrity game represent. featuring actual NBA players with like actors and celebrity is so funny. Like Carlos Boozer blocked the shit out of Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel show. And I'm yeah. like, I need to turn this off right now. Like I, I cannot in good conscience continue watching this. Yeah. It's always funny to me. Sometimes like the NBA players that do play. Um, or the the athletes that do play, right? So yeah. we had DK Metcalf, uh, Dwayne, uh, uh, sorry, Calvin Johnson. Yep. It's um, you know, past years there have been other guys too, right? Like NFL current NFL players, current like other leagues, you know, players like premier athletes. I always find it weird though when they have the WNBA players. Like, isn't that offensive? Like, why yeah. are they looping current WNBA, not even WNBA players, all-stars? I'm not touching that one. In um, with all the celebrities. <laughs> like, it's. <laughs> I remember when Ray Allen was in it one year, and he was just gunning from the four-point line. They added a four-point line, yeah. and it was like, this is so bad. Like, what are we doing? But we've already spent far too much time on the celebrity game. I mean, let's talk about the actual events, right? Like, What'd you think of this revised? And I think this is like the second or third year they've done it, but like the revised um, Rising Stars game, because that feels like the only one that has some level of like staying power and a little bit of competitiveness. I didn't like it this year. But do you like the format or did you just not like how the it's, game went? Uh, the format's fine, but even the format works better, I think, if these guys play a little bit harder. Um, well, wasn't close... I mean, shit, the sport of basketball works if you play a little bit harder. No, my point is it suffers from the same thing the All-Star game suffers from. And now these guys are too cool for school, man. Even the the rising stars. Yeah, something, it's, it's our it's... Genera- this generation is so messed up, man. Like, I feel like before the rising star game, people tried a little bit harder because, you know, they don't know better. They're not worried about injuries as much. Um, I mean, that the rising star game was also always kind of a dunk show and three-point show, but... This felt just as bad. Um, not as bad as the actual All-Star game, but, you know, Benedict Matherin just hogging the ball and jacking up shots. It's just, I don't like it. Fair. I think the format can be kind of cool where you're playing a little bit of a tournament, right, with, like, seven-man teams. So you're not, like, in there for five minutes just trying to hunt shots. You're actually playing with some level of cohesion. So the concept, I think, makes sense. But, yeah, like, this is the biggest problem, man. And, like, let me say this now to get it out of the way. None of the ideas that have existed or that will people will come out with or whatever can change the fact that guys don't care about real games. Why the hell would they care about the All-Star game? Um, now, you could call it a shifted mindset. I'm going to say that it is absolutely that. And then it's also the level of just money that's at stake now, meaning, you know, guys are making 60, 50, 60 million dollars a year like to get them to care about anything is almost impossible, much less an exhibition. And it's just, it's sad, right? Like I'm not going to go full player in power and be like, whatever they want to do is fine by me. They should have full prerogative to do it. I mean, at the end of the day, like I would like to see a competitive product, but 
fundamentally, you're not going to be able to solve anything until you solve the problem of why players don't care anymore. Because it's clear that that's the case from top to bottom. Yeah, and I don't know um, what they can do about that either. Because So let's talk about some of the ideas, right? The monetary incentives, we already know these guys make far too much money. Right. How much are you going to realistically pay like Damian Lillard to not take 50-foot three-pointers during the game? Exactly. The monetary incentives don't make sense. Um, and the winning, you know, like the home court advantage and the finals. That's far too much. That's far too much at stake for this. Far too much at stake. And ultimately, only two two teams get to benefit from that. And realistically, yeah. five or six teams. So the rest of them aren't even playing for that. Um, the charity thing, clearly, that's what they do now. <laughs> that's not enough for these guys to I mean, care. These like, guys how much can write a twenty million dollar check whenever they want if they want to donate to charity. Like again, that doesn't move the needle because, like, what the, you get four hundred thousand to to the boys and girls club, but you know if you had the lead at the first quarter, like LeBron spits that out like every two games, maybe less. Nothing will will work, uh, <laughs> and the sport <laughs> is over. There's literally nothing. Like I just, and I think that. The only way the All-Star game will work is if these guys have an incentive to, to like I mean, you said, like an incentive to play hard, which they don't, and an incentive to risk injury, which they don't. And guys today are too smart about their bodies, too careful, too understanding of the impact it can have on any contract, that there's just no upside to any of this. And, and now you know, it's gotten to the point where it's cool when you don't try. Right, it's one of those things where the people trying now, like Kyle Lowry, if he played in this game, would look like an idiot. Totally out of place, yeah. And and or, I don't believe, like, I don't buy. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of podcasts talking about the fact that if Giannis played, if Steph played, um, some of these stars would up the intensity. I actually don't buy that at all. While those guys do try harder, I just don't think that that is infectious in any way. And and all these bums out there would have played any differently than they did. So, I think this is dead. I think the All Star game is dead. I don't think there's any coming back. I don't. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, the star power certainly didn't help. Right. Like I was just thinking about, you know, I put out my player rankings three weeks ago that you mentioned. If you just look at that and you look at crunch time, just look at my list. Right. So there's, you know, 15 guys. Let's just go top 15. Giannis was out of the game. Luca was out of the game. Kevin Durant didn't play. Jokic was out of the game because he doesn't care. And Bede was on the court. Steph out. Kawhi didn't make the team. Tatum was on the court. LeBron out. Anthony Davis didn't make the team. Ja was out there. SGA. But, like, so it's basically Zion was out. Booker didn't make the team. So you're talking about, like, 10 or 11 of the top 15 guys were nowhere to be found in crunch time. So starting right there when you have an all-star game and Julius Randle and Tyrese Halliburton are gunning it out, like, you already are behind the eight ball. And then you factor in the too cool for school mindset that all of them have. So they can't even be doing like semi cool shit while not trying. They're just not that good. Um, leads to really poor outcomes. Like we saw, I mean, I, this was the first all-star game in a while that I did not even make it to halftime. It was just unwatchable. The only way I made it is because we created a betting game on. That's right. That's <laughs> on, right. On the, the scoring, which ended up being fun. But outside of that, it was, dude, it was a disaster to watch. And uh, it was in Salt Lake City. Like, what were they doing Saturday night? There's like the bars closed at like 10 p.m. Yeah. Like, what was going on? If there are any bars, they're, they're closed. Uh, yeah. House parties at Luca's Suite, probably. 
Um, let's talk about the All Star Saturday night. So, a lot of talk about Mac McGlung, quote unquote, saving the dunk contest. Um, I'm not sure I would go there. I think he was awesome and did some really cool dunks, but like, this is so fleeting, right? Like, year to year, it's just about if we care about the guys that are performing and if they're any good at dunking. If next year he opts out and it's four guys that nobody cares about and can't really do anything cool, then we're going to say it's dead again. What do you think about that? Is that fair? Is there really a concept of long-term saving this this uh, this competition? I think it can be saved. I think it can. I think they have to be very um, intentional about the way they extend invitations. So a guy like Mac McClung, who was known for dunking all the way since high school, He's a very performative dunker, uh, obviously a, a borderline G League guy, you know, going from team to team. That And he's small. That, I think, is the kind of profile the NBA needs to go seek. I'm tired of these big men. I'm tired of these tall yeah, dudes. Yeah, because it just doesn't look cool. It doesn't look cool like Jericho Sims, like Obi Toppin last year. Like, I think just go for the guards and go for guards slash wings who have had extensive dunking history in terms of not in-game, but just flashy, creative dunks. Pull them from G League. Pull them from... Like, at this point, we're pulling random NBA players. It doesn't matter if they're an NBA player anymore. If you're not going to get a star or an NBA player that's recognizable, who cares if Jericho Sims is the NBA? Just pull off a... Like, make the contest about guys who are all in the G League, guys who are borderline practice squad guys. Like, is this a slippery slope? Like, do they even have to be affiliated with the NBA? (laughs) Maybe (laughs) not. Maybe not. I don't know. Well, then why don't we just hire performers? You get the the Secret Service dunkers that perform at the Wizards games, and they do the trampoline stunts. We might as well go there. Fine, fine. They have to be affiliated, right? But my point is Mac McClung is barely affiliated, right? He's on these – he's not on an NBA roster, right? No, he's on like a two-way contract with the Sixers, which is why he was allowed to wear a Sixers jersey during the dunk contest. But he has not actually played a game for the Sixers. Okay, so focus on those types of guys because Mac McClung won, and guess what? Everyone loved it. Everyone was hyped, and no one gives a shit about him. He's here, okay. Time out though. He's to your point uniquely famous because he is a he's been known to do this since his high school days. Like he was one of the more famous recruits, went to Georgetown, but again because of the size and whatever else, never really caught on. But this isn't like a run of the mill G League dude. This is like a guy who's had an Instagram following for dunking for five years. True, but let, let's say his name was Bob Smith, right? And he was a random G leaguer that no one knew, and he looked at like that, like a short white dude, and, and did those dunks. Cool it would still yeah. be hype. I agree. Like, people would still be losing their minds. It's not just because it's Mac McClung; it's just the the dunks he did were so good. So, anyways, I, my point is, I think they can save it. I think they've got to pick the right people and be very intentional about who they pick, and just forget about the fact that any even relatively well-known NBA players ever going to do it because they're not. I was actually looking to see when the last time like a relatively well-known guy did it. Um, Like you would have to, you almost have to look at like, I guess when Aaron Gordon was there, right? Like the last time someone who even remotely mattered was part of this thing. Um, And, and, and like before that, I guess Zach Levine and his battles, but yeah, it's, it's brutal. I mean, the three-point shooting contest is clearly the best 
one because stars do it it's easy to do right and it's fun like especially now that they've juiced it up like uh 2000s era baseball with like the full <laughs> money ball rack and the freaking four points two four point shots it used to just be well, one three like, point no, shots but yeah. uh, three point shots right it used to just be one they're like no let's add another um I, I, yeah i think they've taken that to a whole other level <laughs> I think they're going overboard with that. Yeah. Like soon they're going to make every rack all money balls. And make and a half court like... shot that's worth 10. <laughs> yeah. Like might as well. Like just go crazy with it. We've lost all uh, tradition and, and, and sort of like any type of principled part of basketball anyway. Might as well just go the full distance. But I think the three point contest benefits from the fact that we still have stars participating. Right. Yes. You know, Steph won it not too long ago. Dame won it this year. Like these guys are all NBA players, and um, and it's very unpredictable because you can't assume the best three point shooter is going to win. Whereas the dunk contest, I think for the most part, you can kind of get a sense of you know at least who the top two are. And there's kind of nothing like a sharpshooter catching fire, right? Like Buddy Heald had one of those stretches. Dame obviously came down and hit like four of his last five shots to win it. Tyrese Halliburton in round one went crazy. And he was a guy I actually didn't expect to perform well just because his shot release was funky. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Like, he sometimes takes a long time because he does that, like, set shot that he barely jumps. And he went ballistic in round one. And so that's the, that's the fun part. And then when they're missing a lot, that's kind of fun, too. Like, Kevin, your boy Kevin oh, Herter. I know. That that was bad. Kevin Herter, Julius Randle, which produced his, that, his son, that clip of his son kind of just... <laughs> crying it'll make you feel better uh if i say this the lowest score ever for a dunk uh, oh, three-point contest is his airness michael jordan it's your boy how come that's never brought up how come that just gets LeBron has history. a combined zero points scored in the dunk contest yeah, or the pe- three-point contest in his career people talk more about lebron not being in the dunk contest than mj scoring really low because jordan feel- did that one too and he won the dunk, yeah, but back then it was very different, dude. Who was he competing against? Uh, the guy named Dominique, the human highlight reel, literally one of the sickest, five sickest nicknames in basketball. But by the way, I think Herder's eight is worse than Jordan's five because Jordan didn't get to like shoot overhand from under the basket for an extra two points, and he didn't get to like <laughs> throw it in from like the third row of the bench for an extra five points. Like he didn't have all of that. He just had straight leather. That's all he could do. I'm not even sure the balls were different colors at the end of the racks. And it was still the worst of all time. I think <laughs> they were. I think they were still out of 30. They had money balls, but now it's out of, what, 35? or No, it's... Uh, I have to do the math, but four times six is 24, plus five times... Wait, what the... Five times plus two, 10, 10, 34, plus two... You can get up to 40. 40. Yeah. So 33% higher. You take 33% away from eight, and that is looking like it's just below Jordan. But bottom line, the the Kings had it. First of all, the Kings had a disastrous All-Star weekend. De'Aaron Fox was the only player to score zero points. Oh, my God. Did he not score? He did not score. He was the only player on both teams to not score. He missed a dunk. Uh, Sabonis was just out there. uh, Almost drafted last, but not last. Second to last. Uh, among the reserves, and then uh, Herder shit the bed. It was not a good showing for Sack. And this is uh, right on the precipice of a wild last 20 to 25 games because this All-Star break is so late into the year that 
you look up and every team has played pretty much 60 games and we were going to go on a, an intense stretch run for playoff seeding. And the Kings, who are currently at three, have multiple juggernauts breathing down their neck. So didn't exactly build confidence here uh, this weekend. I think I might have broken them, to be honest. We'll yeah. see how they, they come out this week. I also uh, realized that Tatum and Mitchell scored 95 of the 184 points. They scored over half the points for Team Giannis. That's insane. And if you throw in uh, Dame's 26, so those three of them scored basically like 65% of their team's points. So, What's wild is we, we play that game, right, where three of us, um, we each drafted eight players yeah, and their point totals. Um, and Jason Tatum outscored uh, – had picked eight players, and Jason Tatum outscored all of them combined, <laughs> which is really hard to do, like if you think about it in the All-Star game. Well, I had a I had a nice little bet on a couple guys going over fifteen, including Luca, which was very stupid on my part. Why would you see? I don't understand why you'd think Luca would be good in this format. He's no, he's terrible, and I just figured he was out there. And here was my real logic, right? I was like, Jokic never plays. Embiid might not play. I didn't realize he was going to go for thirty-two because they were saying he was hurt. Giannis, I knew was not going to play, and LeBron, I figured would take it easy. Three of those four things happened, except I didn't account for Luca also pulling a Jokic. I'm never t- touching him in any All Star format again. I think it was pretty predictable. I knew Dame was gonna, you know, gun. This is all he cares about, just looking good and things that don't matter. Um, he literally I, lives for these kind of weekends, by the way. Oh yeah, oh yeah, dude. He he came out firing like he missed his first like I don't know six threes. Um. And it was so obvious he was just trying to win MVP. And he didn't win because he started off too slow, but he was gunning for it. Tatum played 35 minutes in an all-star game. Also, Tatum at the end, man, like, it's just, I don't know. I, it sounds dumb, right? It's old man yelling at the clouds. But a guy like Tatum, a guy like Jalen Brown, you're on the best team in the league. This is not your showcase. Well, that's the thing. His coach was the Celtics coach, Joe Mazzulla. So why would he let Jason Tatum play for 35 minutes in a meaningless exhibition? Yeah. Like, let, let's let Donovan Mitchell go after the, the scoring title in this game or one of those guys. Why are you, like... I'm literally looking at the box score. I had no idea Jalen Brown had 35 points, 14 oh, dude, he rebounds. he was also going hard. Yeah. I knew, I saw that, like, I saw a few clips of their duels at the end, but 35 and 14 took 27 shots. Tatum took 31 shots. So in a game that features 24 All-Stars, they took 58 shots, whereas normally on the Celtics, they take like 40 combined. Yeah. That's amazing. It's bad. It's bad. Uh, um, all right. Let's a move couple, to couple the, other things, yeah, though. A couple ahead, other things. Ahead. I just want to say, you, you know, first of all, LeBron. Um, they honored him. It was nice. A lot of hoopla. Even I thought it was a little bit long. Like that half Every, everything, dude. Everything was long. They, they, they picked the players, and I'm like, all right, let's tip it up. And immediately, Post Malone comes out for a full on concert. <laughs> exactly. It's like, why did you guys do this before and just tell us the game started when it actually started? Um. So that was one thing. The other thing was Carl Malone. I don't. A lot of a lot of stuff came out about Carl Malone. Like, clearly, we've all known the story. Um, it hasn't been made that. I guess it's not been that public. A lot of people have first time hearing about it was this this weekend, given he was such a prominent face at All-Star Game. 
Mm-hmm. But I just think it ruined that moment too when they had him also up there on the stage shaking hands with LeBron. And I, I can't believe for a league as progressive as the NBA and as kind of aware of how they appear, they would be celebrating this guy. So that was weird to me. Um, didn't make any sense. John Stockton even sitting out there. He's a fucking nut job as well. So It's I, crazy. Yeah, Utah was like ground zero for just like NBA legend, like loose cannons. Yeah. And they were leaned all the way into it. They, they can't be doing this in, in Utah, dude. Like they can't be doing the all-star game in these cities. Like you know Indiana next, next year. Like, yeah, I was just about to say, do you know where the three-year stretch of Cleveland, Salt Lake City, and Indiana? I don't know what we did deserve. At least deserve pepper this. in between pepper and Vegas. Like just switch it up. I don't I mean, know. I told you my theory about this league. stuff, right? Like, what are we trying to do? The Super Bowl and the All Star Game are important for the players and all those kinds of things. Super Bowl, especially since it's obviously the championship, but it's a party. It's supposed to be fun. Like, let's not overthink this. Miami, Vegas, L.A., Phoenix, you know, New Orleans, Atlanta, like places that they want to go with good weather. That's all you need. And and I think the Super San Bowl, Diego, least, like whatever, yeah. And Super Bowl at least I think has a tangible impact on local revenue. Oh, whatever. No, no, the Super Bowl does. But like, you can't tell me the All Star is such a big draw. Like, yeah, you book out hotel rooms for all the players and their significant others, but I don't think we owe it to these cities to give them an opportunity to host the game when they're just <laughs> back. From what I understand, they may never go back to Vegas though after what happened in 07. When what I happened think, again? I forget. I think players were like almost receiving IVs on the court on Sunday because they, <laughs> they were like literally just like Alan Iverson was just returning from excess on just walking <laughs> straight into the pregame introductions. Yeah. But anyways, I, I thought Utah in general is just um, – look, it's just not the right city. It's, the listen, right crowd. It's, probably, it's probably a perfectly nice city if you want like – a good weekend, you get some skiing in in Park City, the whole deal, you know, opera ski, get the villa. But that's not what's happening at All-Star Weekend. I'm sorry to inform everyone. Yeah. So. Um, all right. And also, Dwayne Wade, just way too present. That too. We uh, get it. Like, you're a part owner of the Jazz. Great. Just the <laughs> whole deal. I just, I need less Dwayne Wade. And I actually like Wade, but I just need a little bit less Dwayne Wade in my life right now. All right. Moving on to the actual season. So what we're going to do, we love storylines because we love the NBA, and those two things are forever intertwined. So we're going to actually do a storyline draft, meaning we're going to alternate picks and no repeats, and we're going to pick what are the most compelling storylines that we're looking out for for the last 20 to 25 games, like I mentioned, that each team has to close out the regular season. So... You are up first uh, with your selection. My top storyline is one that uh, it's been a year-long storyline, but is only really going to get interesting now, and that is the race for Wembenyama. Mm. Teams tanking. Um, I think what since the beginning of the season, there was a lot of chatter about Wembenyama, the generational prospect, who's going to get him. I think in the last several weeks, We've been concerned with the playoff race. In the West, it's very tight. In the East, there are a lot of teams who are still trying very hard to get into the play-in. You know, your Washington Wizards uh, as a prime example. And 
I think we've lost sight of the fact that, look, now, post-All-Star break, there's four teams, five teams, actually, no, more than four, really in the running. It's Houston, San Antonio, Charlotte, and Detroit. Uh, Orlando, Indiana, those teams would have to go on a massive, massive losing streak to, to kind of fall into that race. And so I think it's going to be very interesting how these four teams, um, they're, I mean, the three teams get the worst odds or the best odds, right? 14%, the worst three records. The fourth team gets 12.5% and then it starts dropping off. So I'm curious how much jostling does a team like the Magic kind of pull the, the plug now? Um, is anyone else squeezed into that race? Or is it really just between the Spurs, Rockets, and Pistons? Uh, and, and Hornets. And should we start thinking about those teams as potential Wemby destinations? So anyways, I'm I'm just curious to see how the, the bottom shakes out. Yeah. Um, and if any team can squeeze in there, that's not already in there. Well, it's a really good point. Um, I liked it with playoff positioning and everything else you started with, who's going to suck the most, but fair. Uh, maybe Victor is worth that kind of attention from everything we've seen he is. So it's kind of like... It's really interesting because, like you said, there's a four teams at the bottom. I don't think Orlando is going to catch them. So you have those four are going to be pretty much locked in uh, to being the worst four. Now, how they shake out amongst them, you know, Houston, half game up, quote unquote, but really down on San Antonio, et cetera. I don't know. Because the lottery odds are flattened, all four of those teams are going to have a 14% chance. And really, it's like, let's look at Wemby and then everyone else, right? Because even Scoot, as good as he is, is nowhere close to the Wemby-level prospect from what we've understood right now, right? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like each of those four teams has literally a 14% lottery ticket to... to, to... Only three of them. The fourth team is a 12.5%. Is it really? Did they change that? Or are you looking at it right now? I'm looking at the odds right now. Okay, so 14, 14, 14, then 12.5? Yep. Okay, so that's step one. And then in terms of who's going to sneak in there, I don't think anybody's going to sneak in. I think it's going to be more of like, do they jump from a 7-1 to one like uh, New Orleans did when they got Zion or an 8-1 to one or whatever that was. Um, and in that category, I think that's what's most interesting because the bottom teams are all going to be terrible. Um, if you had to have me pick one of those, I think I'd pick San Antonio. I mean, they've lost 14 straight uh, going into the All-Star break which is kind of going underappreciated by how really miserable that is. Even Charlotte, since they've had LaMelo, are like a little bit better and probably you know aren't going to be you know quite as egregious as some of the ones at the bottom. But I'm really interested to see this Orlando, Indiana, who are both okay to lose, but then Chicago and L.A. who are trying to win but may end up losing anyway. I'm really interested to see kind of how that shakes, off, shakes out, especially because that Lakers pick is headed to New Orleans. Yeah, because the, the reality is uh, it's slightly above 50% chance that the bottom four team gets Wemby. So it's a coin flip that someone outside the bottom four gets him. So that means, like you said, Orlando, Indiana, Chicago, LA would go to Pelicans, Toronto, Portland, Washington. It's in, it's not like inconceivable that one of those teams gets him, which is yeah. what's crazy about these odds. And I think there's a like a you can tell me what the percentages are, but like, let's say the wizards right now, right. Who have the 2.5%. Yeah. So it's, it's a hail Mary, but a team like the bulls, what are they at? 7.5. Right. And so then maybe it's just, you know, it's three times more still a low percent, but not that much lower than Charlotte. Who's like 
way worse than Chicago's. So in Chicago's, man, they're desperate. If that falls in the top four, that basically takes them from complete and utter disaster of an NBA landscape, just true purgatory to like, <laughs> I don't know what, what the opposite is, but just elation beyond expression. Like they keep the pick and they get Victor. That's, I mean, that's all they're thinking about right now, I think, especially with the news on Lonzo. Yeah, they got to pack it in because otherwise you give it to Orlando. And then Orlando, all of a sudden, think about them. If they can squeeze into the top, uh, you know, the, they have a 10.5% chance to get the number one pick. Chicago possibly gives up their pick. They just got Paolo. They just got that Franz. That oh, they're gonna be awesome. looks like the most exciting and interesting team in the entire league. And even if they do get a guy like Scoot, that's kind of perfect fit on their team, right? Because they need a point guard. I mean, Fultz has been good, but they, they certainly need a, another guard in the backcourt because Suggs is maybe not quite that guy. So who who would you pick as your best fit of those bottom four for Victor? Like, where do you want to see him play next year? Uh, stylistically, maybe city-wise, et cetera. Uh from a personnel standpoint, the most interesting team is Houston. But they're a goddamn disaster in terms of the personalities, the coach, the cohesion. San Antonio is interesting because uh, you have Pop, you have the historical infrastructure, but Pop's not going to coach that much longer. So, and Detroit, uh, I would say like Detroit. a thousand bigs. But, like, they have a thousand bigs. I don't like the way they've managed their team. So, actually, none of these teams, to be, like, honest, like, I just wish Orlando had not tried so hard this year because um, that, by far, is the best yes. best fit. Yeah. Um, but they're a little bit outside. How about you? So, Houston would have been the best fit if they didn't have, like, just an abysmal operation going on <laughs> top to bottom. Like, Jalen Green, you know, Jabari Smith. Victor Wembanyama, like that just sounds cool. It's a big city. It's a big market. They can attract free agents when the time's right, et cetera. But they're just such an aimless mess. I can't pick them in good conscience. I'm with you on Orlando. I'll even go one further. Indiana. You got Halley. You got Matherin. You got uh, maybe they, you know, Turner can play next to uh, Victor. That is the start of something. I mean, Indiana is about as... You know, nondescript as NBA franchise homes go, but hey, Reggie Miller made it work there. Why can't uh, my guy Wemby? Indiana? Yeah. I just uh. think like the biggest thing with a big like that is you have to give them an elite point guard. And so you got two options if you look at like the top six. You got Indiana and you got Charlotte with the fringe candidate of Detroit not knowing what Cade's health situation is, right? But LaMelo, as good as he is, doesn't seem to be making them better or their roster is no, just so bleak and devoid of talent that he has no hope. And I just feel like that's going to continue. And, like, they're just destined to always suck um, or top out at mediocre. I just feel like Indiana's, like, basketball culture, the nucleus, like, I could see that being a more fun situation. I see Halliburton being a more refined, mature player than LaMelo at this stage of their career to actually elevate a guy like Victor on this team. Yeah. Don't bring your anti Halley bias into this, by the way. I'm not. Hey, look, look. I think I actually was going to say that's a great team. I just they're a little bit outside, but you're right. They could easily 
they have a good chance still, 9%. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, man. Spurs, like, yeah, like the pop nucleus, it might just be over, right? Like, that's not... He's too old. Yeah. Um, but, and they just don't have enough on that team. They got some assets, obviously, with the uh, picks from the DeJounte Murray trade. But otherwise, it's pretty devoid of talent. So I'm sure OKC was thinking, hey, it's SGA, Giddy, Chet, and Victor as the final piece. But then if, SGA turned into a top 12 player in the league, and suddenly that dream was dead. I, I uh, yeah. OKC, honestly, this was the worst year they decided to actually start trying. They needed to just do it one more year. And I, and I get the argument that I'm okay with it. I, I'm okay with it too, but if you're going to follow this philosophy of just tanking every year, accumulate the assets, this is the one year with the most valuable asset that makes sense to tank for. And okay, this is but the one get, year you decide to start trying. Here's what people got to understand they were only bad for two years. That's why you do it for one more year. I know, but people are acting like OKC was bad forever and ever. They made the playoffs in the bubble as a five seed. Uh, I know we've talked about that, right? But my yeah. point now is it hasn't even been that long. It's not the process. But what Sixers. do you want them to do? SGA is freaking incredible. I mean, you knew, they knew Wembenyama was going to be good this year. Shut down SGA one more time. Man, listen. What if that, that led to him being like, yeah, I'm out of here. This sucks. That's true. My, my, a year ago, I would have said they need to start winning. Now I'm changing my tune. Maybe it's hindsight's, you know, 2020. Random SGA stat, by the way, for you. There's only two players in NBA history who have averaged over 10 free throw attempts and 90-plus percent from the line. It's him and it's KD in one season. And he's at 91.7% on 10.5 free throws a game. I did not know that stat. Wow, that's actually impressive. Shout I didn't know he was getting to, to the uh, line Bilsa. a lot. I didn't know he was at 91%. It's funny because he's not that great of a three-point shooter. Yeah, exactly. But he just lives in the mid-range, lives at the cup. It's very bizarre to watch him, but he's incredible. Okay, um, let's get to your storyline. Yes, let's do it. I can't believe you left this not as the number one pick. It's the Phoenix Suns. Literally, they just added what we all said was a first-team All-NBA guy, an MVP top three candidate before he got hurt, went 17-2 and in their last 19 with Brooklyn. Kevin Durant just joined forces with Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton. That has got to be the biggest story. He's going to make his debut next Wednesday is what it sounds like. So still have to wait a little bit uh, to see him play. But without a doubt, a team that has been starved for a title and sort of that last piece just added, well, one of the two best players in the NBA potentially. So how Phoenix fits, how it all works, how the health stays intact or doesn't for four rounds now, I mean – this is going to be the preeminent story in the NBA for the last three months. Yeah, this was this was also <laughs> high on my list. This is next. I I just think the reason I didn't have it number one was, you know, they're going to be good in the regular season. Uh, I just want to see. I'm more interested in seeing what the other teams do in the stretch of um, kind of the last stretch of the season. Like, will Kawhi and Paul George get it together? Will will Steph come back and the Warriors start putting together a run? Is how good can Denver close out? For me, Phoenix is obviously going to be good, and Kevin Durant will play here and there. Maybe they'll sit guys. At the end of the day, they're just resting for the playoffs, so it's less exciting for me until the playoffs begin. That's the only reason, but otherwise, absolutely agree. It is the biggest storyline, the biggest impact on the title chase is him signing with the Nets or traded to the Nets. So, yeah. I 
I think I'm just fascinated. I guess the regular season, yeah, they're going to be good, but I think I'm fascinated from a basketball standpoint, right? Because first of all, Katie has never played with a true point guard in the mold of Chris Paul. Um, obviously, Russ was not that. Uh, Kyrie is not that. And Steph is not that, right? He's played with three Hall of Fame point guards. This will be his fourth. I mean, the, the, the teammates that Kevin Durant's had in his career are really mind-blowing, but that's a topic for a different day. Um, this will be the first time you've, he's played with a guy who's solely looking to pass and set guys up. And I think as easy as the offense was for the Warriors because the magnetism that Steph and Clay brought onto them, this is going to be easy in a different light because I think he's just going to be doing a great job getting the ball to his spots and – Although Durant's not a guy you help off of, Paul's penetration, the pick-and-roll game with Aiton is either going to leave that option wide open in the middle or you have Booker, you have KD, and you have you know, Torrey Craig on the outside just ready to snipe. And so I'm fascinated to see kind of how that pick-and-roll offense works. And then, of course, the KD is the best like fail-safe option in the league where you dump it down to him because you need a good look and he can get it for you without problem. And Booker is probably – you know, next up on that kind of list. It's him, Kawhi, those kind of guys. It's just one-on-one beasts. So they can play every style of offense. Really interested to see the questions on defense. But, 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 but yeah, I just think what does that look like on the court is something I'm, I'm really excited for. But I, I'm not interested in KD when he's in his Warrior stint, when he's in his Sun stint. I like the KD in Brooklyn. Yeah. I like the KD That's over fair. Thunder. That's just more electric to me. You're right. From an offensive standpoint, what they're going to be able to do, from like just um, watching it on night to night basis, it's beautiful for sure. But KD as a player, as a star, will get a little bit more marginalized. I mean, I knew, I know he had Kyrie on the Nets, but you've got Chris Paul feeding on the ball. You got Booker. You've got uh, you know a big man in Aiden. He's he's not going to be as dynamic as he was in Brooklyn. And or he will be, but it's just going to be less impressive because the team is so stacked. So I actually think he'd be less exciting to watch. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, he he's a twenty walking twenty five points a game no matter what. So I think he's going to get to that number, but it may just be with way less effort. Whereas Brooklyn, night to night, he could just do so much more and show you like the array of his greatness. Yeah. Um. One question I feel like we touched on this at the time of the trade, but like a lot of people are like, well, Phoenix lost a bunch of depth. And I'm kind of curious as to why we're saying that. And maybe we're just like not thinking about it the right way. Like they lost two front court wings, Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. They added Kevin Durant, who obviously is better than Bridges. And they added TJ Warren, who's not as good as Cam Johnson, but, you know, somewhat of a serviceable replacement. So where is this huge depth loss when they kind of went two for two? And then on top of that, they traded Darius Sarge for Darius Baisley, who, again, is not a world beater, but adds a little bit more to that 3-4 range. So why is this narrative taking shape that Phoenix suddenly has no depth because of this trade? I, I it's, it's a fair point. I, I also thought they lost depth. When you look at the roster, it's actually not that much. Yeah. I, I think it's dependable depth, right? I mean, I know TJ Warren's been, been playing this year, but his health, Durant's health, You've got yeah, guys. You, you're is. taking out guys who are re- regular, reliable in the rotation, and adding a little bit of of extra risk. But overall, I agree. It's not like they've lost four key guys um, and replaced it with one, right? So I, I just that, think they can't afford too many injuries, especially if you look at Mikael Bridges' game log. Like it would literally make Kawhi cry. It's 82 games, 
73 out of 82, 72 in the lockout short and or the bubble short and season, 82. And then this year, all 59 games. So basically, he never misses time. And that's not what you can say about the rest. So exactly. Another fun stat before we switch off this topic. Mikhail Bridges put up 45 uh, the other night in Miami against Miami. He becomes the fourth player for the Nets this season who scored 45 or more in a game, which is now an NBA record. Kyrie, KD, uh, Cam Thomas, yep, and Mikel. Yep. Did Kyrie score 45? I don't even remember. Yeah, I think he had 50-plus one game. There's so many 50-pluses. I, I know, but like that's crazy. You have four dudes on your team that had that kind of firepower. Yeah, and then look at what happened to the team. Here, here, here's another question for you. Do you think that the, if you had to think about the archetype of like five years from now, how we're going to look back on this trade? Is it look more like the Lakers Anthony Davis trade, which is Phoenix wins wins a ring, so you're kind of like who cares, even though we gave up a shit ton, or does it look more like the Paul George trade, where you potentially give up a really good asset in SGA or Mikel Bridges, who ends up becoming an All Star? ton of picks and you kind of don't never get over the hump and you've traded for an injury prone, you know, kind of past his prime star. I think more of the AD trade. I Kevin Durant, see it's different trading for Paul George versus Kevin Durant. Yeah. I don't think you can ever blame, especially Kevin Durant, the way he's been playing when he's healthy this year and last year. I think everyone agrees. And I think history will look, of course, hindsight 2020 people will be like, I can't believe they give up Mikhail Bridges, such a great player. But everyone knew that that was the price they had to pay. And in the moment, no one said they I – mean, people said they overpaid, sure. But it wasn't a gross overpay like people talked about Rudy Gobert. Like people talked about even Paul George at the time seemed like a way more big of an overpay. So I, I don't think so. I think they'll be looked at fine. Well, not to go too Skip Bayless on you, but Durant has never done it without Steph Curry and that Warriors infrastructure. So – He's an all-time great. He's a top 15 guy ever, but we give him a lot of rope for a ton of playoff failure. Yeah, Just gonna people put like that you. Out there. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. <laughs> um, all right. we're This is a slow storyline draft, so we're going to keep it moving. What do you got right, next? Faster. Uh, Kyrie. Um, Le, Kyrie, we've seen now they've a couple games with Dallas. Uh, they've lost a couple close games. And there were questions, kind of a little bit of awkwardness in the clutch, a little back and forth, hot potato. They're still going to figure it out. I think the reason this is so fascinating is not just because it is interesting to see how Kyrie, as a combustible personality, will do on the court with Luka. It is interesting to know that he is clearly a uh, free agent in the offseason. And he was, you know, him and LeBron were extra chummy. LeBron made it a point to take him early in the draft. So... The Mavs are in full, we have to sell Kyrie on staying here. And if Kyrie does not work out, and let's say he feuds with Luka or they have a fallout, not only could you lose Kyrie, all of a sudden you can alienate Luka. And you took a chance on a guy that did not work out, and at some point he's at his wit's end. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to have, it's going to be interesting to watch in the postseason. It's going to be interesting to see how they work together. And then let's see if there's any fallout from this whole experiment and what happens in the offseason. So that's my next storyline. I'm going to go big picture on you. The Mavericks remind me a lot of the Packers um, in that they've been blessed with a franchise superstar of 
pretty much historic proportions for multiple decades, right? So basically, Brett Favre started playing in Green Bay in 1993, and it's now 2023, and they've had two quarterbacks, right? Dirk got him a title. Uh, sorry, uh, Favre got him a title. Rodgers got him a title. But crazy to say, 30, 30 years of Hall of Fame play and only two titles is is sort of a disappointment in a way, right? But you almost take it for granted. You don't make the moves. You don't invest where you need to. You keep messing up, but they stay with you. I think the Mavericks are in a similar position where they had Dirk for 20 years. They expect Luka for 20 years, and it's all good. But that's not how today's generation works, right? And that's certainly not how Luka's going to work because he's going to look at you know Tatum maybe getting a ring. Maybe Jokic gets a ring. Maybe Embiid, like his contemporaries, Giannis already has one. So I just think... The clock is running out, and every single move they make has massive long-term implications, you know? And trading for Kyrie is a home run swing, but it's kind of like the three outcomes in baseball. You go home run, walk, or strike. And right now they're really looking at, oh, man. It's a it's, it's a good move for, the, for what they gave up and, and the talent they acquired, but geez, I would not want to be Nico Harrison right now, just kind of sweating out every single day with Kyrie in that building and who knows what's going to happen, when's it going to happen. And then again, like even things are perfectly fine. Like, is he going to want to stay? And if not, what can they even salvage in a sign-and-trade to keep this team afloat without Luka you know, totally self-combusting? And Jason Kidd is not, I don't know, he's giving me an abrasive coach. Yeah, uh, for Luka sure. can be vocal. Right, this thing is, everyone has to tread very lightly, and I think they will. But it's also weird having your whole franchise have to uh, navigate this these next few months being very careful because you don't want to alienate this guy, don't want to alienate Luca, and it could all combust. But I, I think from a basketball standpoint, it'll be interesting to see how they work out those late-game kinks, um, what role they each play. They still haven't figured it out yet, but they have the talent to do so. So... And they've got the easiest schedule, I think, remaining in the league. You're not going to give me credit for my three-sport analogy at once? No. Or not even the Packers? I felt that one was pretty good. Well, the pa- actually, the Packers there. was a good one. That, that was good. They have the easiest schedule, but, I mean, this is where uh, – this is honestly now leads into nicely into my, my storyline, which is like the logjam in the West, Right. That was, I think, the thing I'm most keyed in on. It's a little bit tangential to the Suns and kind of what you said, but realistically, if you look at this, like the Nuggets are going to get the one seed. That's pretty much a lock. Um, You know, they're five games up on Memphis and eight games up on Sacramento for two and three, respectively. There's no way that they lose that lead unless Jokic injury, which hopefully that's not part of the calculus. Memphis probably stays at number two, would be my guess, right? Yeah. Sacramento has a really nice four game cushion. We'll, we'll, we'll hold that for a second or, or they have, yeah, four game cushion over, um, over, let's see, where am I looking? Oh, it's over the Pelicans. So wait a second. I think I have a messed up. Okay. So bottom line, you have between five and 13, you have like a three game separation, three or four game separation. So how is this all going to shake? Is it the Clippers? Is it the Mavs? Is it the Suns? The Pelicans, if they ever get Zion back? The Thunder, if they go on a run? Like, you still have the Warriors with Steph probably a week or so away. 
And then the Lakers, who made a bunch of moves and now look prime for a run. So what is going to happen? Who is going to kind of get into that very critical top six? Will Sacramento keep their seat alive? I think those are the things that are going to be fascinating to watch uh, coming down the stretch because, you know, schedule difficulty will matter. Uh, head-to-head will matter. It's going to be chaos. Yeah, if you look at five, seven, eight, nine, they're all getting back at some point. They're all different timelines. A superstar, mm-hmm. or at least all star. Suns are waiting on Durant. Pelicans are waiting on Zion. Minnesota's waiting on Cat. Who I mean, he'll come back, but who knows how he plays with Gobert? Because the early returns right. on that pairing was not good. Yep. And then the Warriors get Steph, and so I think all of those teams. If depending on when they get their guys back, can catch fire. Yep. OKC, I think, is kind of just chilling at ten. I actually think I know they're competing with Utah and Portland, so that'll be that's a tight race for me. It'll be those three competing for that ten seed. Yep. And then, um, and then the Clippers and Suns, I think, are the and Mavs are the ones really looking to make a move into that three spot. Where Sacramento, I'll tell you right now, they're gonna fall at least. Two or three spots, at least. I know, man. And I had the wrong standings up, so I just want to correct. So, yeah, basically, Sacramento's a game up on the Clippers and a ha- game and a half up on the Suns. Yeah, I was and like, re- what four-game leader are you talking about? No, cushion? Dude, Is that know, on, like, they have a four-game ES- cushion on the 10th seed. <laughs> ESPN was doing giving me something weird. So, basketball reference. Basically, if, you know, respectfully to all our Lakers fans, listeners, of which I know there's many, 3 through 12 is four and a half games. And yeah, I mean, see, Utah might fall off, right? They traded Conley and who knows kind of what they're going to do then stretch. Oklahoma City may fall off. They, to your point, maybe SGA sits the last 10 games. You know, he got his all-star season. He's going to make all NBA most likely. And so they, he kind of gets that credit the way he probably wanted it. And I would say the Warriors and Timberwolves push up, but yeah, like, when these guys return from injury, what they look like is going to be such a big part of this because now it's like the West is back. And as as much as it's not solidified teams, there's a lot of like potential great teams in this mix. It's just hard to tell who's going to emerge. Yeah. I forgot Sacramento. about the Lakers, actually. I wasn't yeah, even like, looking at them. The problem is they have so many teams ahead of them. So even if they play well, they have to play so much better than a number of these teams ahead of them. I mean, like, Okay, let's say they end up in 10, right? If you if you had the Lakers at 10 and the Warriors at 9, maybe you go Warriors, but if you had Lakers at 10 and Timberwolves at 9, suddenly you're like, okay, Cats, you know, LeBron's sending Cat home for sure. Yeah. And then is when it gets fun, right? Cuz it's going to be like a Lakers Warriors or Lakers Pelicans or Lakers Mavericks matchup or your worst nightmare Lakers Kings and that's when, you know, those are the fireworks. Those are the TV ratings. And then we're back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the NBA is in actually a very good position in the playoffs. If all these stars come back, the West, as bad as it's looked, and everyone's talked about the East being better. I mean, dude, look, you got Jokic, Ja, Sabonis Fox, Kawhi Paul George, Durant Booker, Kyrie Luka, Zion, Kat Gobert, and Ant. Like you just uh, then you have Curry, Steph Clay, yeah. LeBron AD, dude. Like literally, if those SGA, eight nine teams are yeah. in the playoffs, you have these just mega stars. Yeah, um, it's 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 wild. And like 
part of this is just the great depth of the league. Cause even if you go out East, you could probably do that, but you can't do it as far. Like yep. you're getting to like Randall and Brunson, which just falls a little <laughs> bit more flat though. Then they've been awesome. Chris stops okay. and deal. And yeah, don't get me wrong. Those guys, have been, by the way, the wizards are going to make the playoffs. I'm almost convinced now. Oh yeah. That's dude, they're the gu- worst case. They're gunning. I know this is, this is just a disaster. Um, and we didn't even talk about Russ on the Clippers. Like what that, like dude, what's I'm, that going to be like? I don't know, but yeah. it's going to be exactly what we've seen the last five teams. <laughs> he, I don't think he's going to endear himself. Do we have any evidence of how he might play? Have we seen any tape on him recently? (laughs) Yeah, I I have no idea. Is he a sleeper agent uh, that the Lakers sent to go infiltrate the Clippers locker room? No. Did you see how happy he was? They showed a video of him in the locker room today or in the practice court. I did. Freaking like skipping around. Speaking of who's not happy or maybe his, but I think John Wall's NBA career is like officially over. No, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. You... <laughs> this is going to turn into DeMarcus Cousins, where you always just sort of hear his name on the peripheries. Maybe he gets a 10-day contract or two. It's just sad. He's got so much money. Like, if I'm him, I'm not signing a 10-day contract. Either vet min is, like, the most I go for, and realistically, I'm probably just retiring, because at this point, there's no point. Yeah. And definitely don't do what Dwight is doing. That is bizarre. Plague in China? Taiwan, but yeah. Taiwan, yeah. Easy. Geopolitical ramifications there. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So, you know, Westlock Jam was my story. Back to you. Your, your third pick. My next pick is the MVP race, mm. which I That's know it can get grading at times and we talk about it too much. I just think this year is fascinating because it's going to tell us a lot about how we, we look at MVP right now. I think, was it some poll that was done recently that showed that Jokic is actually still the favorite? Prohibitive favorite, yeah. Prohibitive favorite. And I actually completely disagree with that. I don't care what, if 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 he wins again and they're the one seed, he's got the crazy advanced stats, I agree. But what it starts to tell me is that the advanced stats have won out. Um because as good as the Nuggets have been and one seed, you have Giannis and Tatum, who are effectively one out east, who've had amazing seasons. And Bede, who's also been putting up a great season. But because they don't lead across 12 advanced metrics, they're not going to win. And and to me, I would give it to Tatum or Embiid or Giannis, all before Jokic, actually. Wow. Just because I care about historical, like what things look like historically. Three-time MVP Jokic, I get it. He, it's a regular season award. He deserves it. It just doesn't look right to me. Just like MJ winning Defensive Player of the Year is a farce. It's just like LeBron getting passed up on MVP the year Derek Rose won it is a farce. It's, LeBron finished third that year, by the way, and didn't deserve it. Dwight didn't anyways, it. These, I just think that in the grand scheme of things, we'll look back at this and we'll be like, okay, he was really good, but was Jokic a three-time MVP winner? Three if straight, yeah. So much far ahead of the rest of the competition, I, I get it, but I don't think this year is the year to do it. So I'm interested to see how it shakes out and yeah. who ultimately wins. So here's the big problem, right? Jokic deserves it this year. Other guys deserve it too, but realistically, we should not have given it to him last year when the Nuggets were a six seed. Now... 
for everyone who's like, well, he didn't even win a playoff series. It's like, well, his backcourt was Austin Rivers and Facundo Campazzo versus the Golden State Warriors. So cut him a little bit of slack. But because he won it last year, this year he's even better. The team is way better. And his case makes more sense. But the three guys who have won three straight MVPs are Larry Bird, Bill Russell, and Will Chamberlain. Exactly. And Jokic is probably not in that air, rarefied air. I don't want him to win it. As much as I love Jokic, I don't want the backlash. We want to be protected. We don't want to hear about it, especially if they don't make a run to the title, which is what's going to be expected. I think anything short of a finals experience, appearance is a disappointment. Um, I, I would have him third, though. I just think Tatum, as good as the Celtics have been, he's not in their class as player. And so I actually would go Giannis one. He's been flat out ridiculous this season, uh, especially of late. They've won 12 straight. Embiid, two. Sorry, Embiid. This is your third straight runner-up award. Jokic, three. And Tatum, four. And then if you want Luka or whoever at five, that's fine. That's kind of how I have it right now. Based on the results of the straw poll, it seems like people are really leaning into the Nuggets. And like I said, I don't expect them to lose the one seed. So I'm not sure how many people are going to come off of voting him a third time in a row. I just... I'm hopeful that the Bucs do something nuts and so Giannis just gets it. Because I think if he wins his third MVP, having the finals MVP under his belt makes it all justifiable. Yeah, Giannis, I would have no problem winning, even though he's he's won it a couple times. And you're right, his he makes more sense in the grand scheme of things. Jokic, he's defensive player of the year level too, right? Exactly. Like it's not just offensively exactly. where he's carried the team without even though his efficiency struggled a bit he also hasn't had Middleton for most of the year so if that was the Giannis argument if that was the you know Jokic argument last year Giannis is doing that and has his team half game out of the number one seed yeah so uh and I think you know the whole thing about oh he shouldn't have won it last year but we get he won it right it's that's why I'm more comfortable not giving it to him this year because then it's kind of like if you thought he should have won it he already kind of won it in a year he shouldn't have won, so it balances out. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Steve Nash. Steve Nash, remember his the first season he won MVP, they were like a 60-win team, but he averaged 15 and 11. That was really bad. That should have and, been Shaq. And granted, like he was very important to that team. Shaq should have won it that year. And then the next year, Nash had upped his numbers, and they were still very good with even less talent because they had lost um, Quentin Richardson and, and Joe Johnson. And... He won it though, and people were like, "Oh crap, maybe he shouldn't have gotten it last year." So that I don't think that's a. I think if you believe that, you shouldn't give it to him this year, and just acknowledge the fact that you gave it to him already in a year he shouldn't have won. But there's too many highbrow NBA media guys who will scold you for such a thought. And yeah, because you should votes. you should not evaluate things like that, right? It's like a. No, ref- but they're also like the type that's like the elite utopian society of like this is how basketball, like you know, like rewriting the way to evaluate basketball. And I yeah. think they've taken some of the fun out of the game, which is sad because Jokic is one of the most fun players out there. But there's people who will just look strictly at like sort descending on Vorp and then be like, all right, he's our guy. Yeah. The and, eye and test, you know, the eye test certainly works for him way more than it did for Nash. But, but yeah, like you don't want to have a situation where Jokic has three MVPs and he isn't necessarily a historical caliber three MVP guy. And like you said, we don't want it for him because he's just going to get clowned the rest of his career anytime he faces any kind of failure in the playoffs because it's like, oh, this is your three-time MVP? It's like it also the, sets the expectations at a completely different level. The funny thing is Embiid, who gets a lot of like the benefit of like the 
traditionalist who's like, this is the way basketball is. How is he not better than Jokic, blah, blah, blah. Fair. But Embiid has never even made round three. Now, Jokic only made it once in the bubble, but it's funny that like neither of them have had like great playoff success. So defaulting to Embiid being overlooked while Jokic gets all the praise doesn't quite work because Embiid doesn't have the playoff track record either. That's why Giannis is like the natural answer who's done it both in the regular season and the postseason multiple times. No, exactly. Um, and then that's why you're more comfortable giving it to him because he's he's shown that. Yeah. All right. My last one. Um, and I like that one. That was on my list. My last one is the race for the one seed in the East. Because I think Boston and Milwaukee are head and shoulders above everyone else with respect to Philadelphia, who's playing awesome, and Cleveland, who's got a lot of talent. And last year, we had Game 7 on the road in, or in Boston, and that turned out to be the deciding factor, along with Middleton not being there. I think that's going to be really, really important down the stretch because both stadiums are incredibly difficult to play in. Both teams have you know great home records all those kinds of things, all the things you'd want to see, like Boston is 24 and seven at home. Milwaukee is 24 and five and even Denver, right? Like, let me just throw them in They're 27 and four. There's maybe even the race for the overall one seat is also critical because I think that's going to matter both in the conference finals in the East and then eventually the NBA finals. Uh, if Denver gets there, I'm less interested in them because I, I do like Phoenix and I do like the Clippers more. Um, we're not the Clippers. Sorry. I, Denver owns the Clippers, but I like Phoenix better than I like Denver right now. So just in the East, thinking about that battle, they have the experience of last year. They've played a few years ago, actually, in in some of Tatum and Brown's early seasons. They played two years in a row. So I just think there's a bad, lot of respect, but bad blood between those two franchises. We, we need to see the Titanic battle and where that game seven takes place, because it's definitely going to go seven, in my opinion, I think is uh, maximum importance. Also on my list, also for same reasons. Uh, this is a series where it's just hard to see it not going seven. Mm-hmm. Not, even, I mean, maybe six, but I'd be shocked at anything else, uh, barring injury. Um, and I think it'll matter, and because it matters, both teams know it matters. I think the Bucks have been on a tear uh, lately. Boston knows what's at stake. They're also hungry from last year's finals loss. So I think. It is a clash of epic proportions, and and it could have an impact on the MVP race. Like I know that the way these things work is, even if you're only a half game ahead, one seed to two seed, the the narrative becomes, oh, you're the number one seed that bolsters your case for MVP, right? As opposed to being a two seed, even if you're a half a game apart. So I think from that standpoint too, the one seed is going to have huge implications, and. I know you say you'd have Giannis over Tatum right now, but I think if Boston holds on to it, I'd still take Tatum just because he's taken a leap this year in a way that I think um, Giannis in some ways has also taken an, another leap. But Gian- Wait, Tatum is your number one player in your MVP ballot right now? No, not my number one player, but I think if if they get a little bit more separation and he plays really well down the stretch, I could see myself giving it to him. Wow. I mean, not like I have a vote, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Aren't we credentialed? I think it's going to be really fun. And I think Philadelphia, like, they could certainly crash the party, but I don't think any of us are going to be quick to crown 
Embiid or Harden come playoff time. Like they'll have to prove everyone wrong. It's not, I don't see a lot of people picking them to beat either of those top two teams. Yep. Hey, but I, I want to see it too, right? Like I want to see Embiid have a moment of greatness where he really, I mean, he has had those at times. I'm not taking away from how he's played. Like he's had some bad luck, like the Kawhi shot, you know, in Toronto, things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, your resume speaks for itself. Like a lot of guys have good and bad luck. That doesn't stop them from kind of pushing their teams forward. And he's got to do that. I mean, Harden's a supporting player at this point has to be Embiid. So, yeah, all right. I, I think the other thing is um, Embiid is like, to your point, Giannis. When we, I dogged on Giannis. A lot of people dogged on Giannis for kind of flaming out of the playoffs. And once he won the title, it was not maybe it's not fair, but once he actually got over that hump, won the title, or at least had some modicum of postseason success, their narrative completely flips. And I think that'll happen with Embiid. It may not be fair that he gets a lot of the criticism now, but I think we do this with everyone, and, and yeah, we do it with Giannis, sure. who now is all of a sudden the consensus best player in the league. So, last thing before we go, Stephen A had a. Terrible take per usual about the five uh, players with the most on the line or like the, I guess the way he framed it was like who had the most to lose or who, who was, who, who had the most amount of pressure to win a title. His list was Chris Paul at one, James Harden at two, Jason Tatum at three, Nikola Jokic at four, Kawhi Leonard at five. Hmm. I think there's a lot of problems with that, but here's what I went with. <laughs> Curious for your thoughts. I said Jokic is one. Embiid is two. Harden is three. Kevin Durant is four. And Devin Booker is five. Wait, so what's the criteria again? It's NBA players under most pressure to win a title this season. Most This season. Got it. Okay. Or maybe <sighs> he means in general, I guess. Either no, way. No, dude. It's Durant number one. It's Durant number one. You just went on this whole thing about how you can't give Jokic a third-rate MVP, and if he does, he's going to get clowned into oblivion. He'll get clowned, but Durant's going to get clowned out even more for copping to all these different teams. He Yeah, but he won the two titles, and he won the two MVPs. Jokic, Whether or not- Jokic is argued about in the like nerd like Twitter sphere, right? But Durant is just... This is like a, a joke that'll be running through all of Twitter. Like, the casual fans, the... Hardcore fans, if he can't win here, I think that he's under the most pressure by far. Jokic, I mean, dude, at the end of the day, as as I, I said that the three-time MVP will come back to haunt him and people will make fun of him, but no one cares enough about Jokic. It's just he's not as polarizing. Well, that's the thing. I guess the question is, if it is this season, then I don't put Durant higher than Jokic because he came midseason. They have 25 games. He came off an injury. If it's like in general, this and next season, then maybe you could argue. I just think that like, regardless of what Durant does in this situation, he's failed in Brooklyn too, right? With three superstars. And so they had a super team there as well. I just feel like he's got done enough where he's a little bit more absolved. I don't think he's totally absolved, right? I have him over a guy like Kawhi. I obviously have him over a guy like Jason Tatum, who's yet to win one um, over Giannis, who's won one. But like, I just think, you know, it'll be the same old with him. He's a phenomenal player, needs a loaded team, but that doesn't change how we think about Durant, in my opinion. But Jokic isn't seen as playing with stars, so there's at least some built-in excuses. I think maybe, you- but the three straight MVPs puts him in, you know, 
company that it's hard to like use that excuse still, I think. I ultimately don't think he'll win, but you're right. Maybe, but it's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not his fault. That's what I'm telling people. <laughs> but, all right, on that note, I can't wait to get back into it starting tomorrow night. It's the week off in the middle of the season feels way too long. Uh, and since, you know, the extra days aren't enough, they had to take the weekend off too in Salt Lake City. But nonetheless, we are back and ready to go. And hopefully everybody's going to be going full tilt these this last two months of the regular season. So we'll be with you for all of it, most of it. We'll see. Um, but thanks again for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. We will talk to you next week.